Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. There's certain stories in the Bible that become, I think, just uh, great illustrations for kids' church. You know those stories? You know, there's certain stories in the Bible that even people who never read their Bible know because it's, you know, been told at such an extent. Jonah is one of those. Jonah is one of those books, you know, that we hear about this, you know, we learn about the things that have been happening in there since we're knee high to a grasshopper and you kind of grow up, if you've grown up in church, uh, knowing about Jonah. And if you haven't grown up in church, you might have heard of the story of this guy who'd been swallowed by a great big fish. And, and so we're in part two of a four-part series looking at the book of Jonah and uh, we've entitled it, Love God, Tell Others. Because I want to kind of reorient your understanding of this kid's story, because it's not really a kid's story. And it's pretty hard hitting, actually. It's a, it's a book that I think like when Jesus talks about the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal father, really. Prodigal meaning reckless. And we just sung about the reckless love of the father, right? This reckless love that sort of seems... This is like another illustration like that. This whole book is an illustration of the reckless love of God. The love of God that just wants to pour out His love that has no bounds like we would often want to put a boundary on. And this is where this this book will challenge us every week as we get into it and read it is are we placing a restriction on who we think deserves the love of God? because of our own prejudice, our own stuff that's going on. And last week we looked how this, this wickedness has come up before the Lord and he calls out for one of his men, a prophet named Jonah, to go to this city of Nineveh uh, where you know, they're known for their evil and, and that he would go and he would preach repentance, that he would call them back to, the, to God and, and, and tell them who, of God's great love for them so that they might repent. And of course, we know the story, Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, gets on a boat to Tarshish going 2,500 miles in a different direction. And we saw last week that he can run, but you can't hide. And when the love of God wants to chase you down, it will. And, and this great tempest comes up, this storm that even makes these sailors so afraid of what's going on that they, they're looking for what the, on earth is causing this problem until Jonah says, oh, it's like me, like I serve the, the God who's the God over the land and the sea. And they're like, well, what on earth are you doing? We're stuck out here in the sea and you're running away from the God of the land and the sea. I mean, you're screwed either way, but why throw us in this, you know? And so uh, they end up throwing him overboard and that's kind of where we got to at the end of last week's message. It's like, oh, there it is. End of story, right? He's, he's, he's sinking deep. End of story. You know, when God had a plan to call Nineveh to repentance, he asked Jonah to join in the work that God was already about doing. Now Jonah disobeyed because he had this prejudice against these pagan enemies. 
his judgment stood in the road of God's love. Disobedience to God is very serious. It gets us in deep water. It's, you know, it's like watching a, a Bondi rescue on television, you know? And there's signs up everywhere in five different languages saying that strong currents don't swim here. And people kind of read it and then go, okay, I'm going to go for a swim. And you watch them, right? The whole show is based around stupid people going for a swim where they shouldn't. And a whole bunch of dedicated people who go and rescue them. And these guys get into deep water so quickly. And we see that when the current takes you out and you're, you're out there floundering and you've got no strength left and you can't swim in the stronger current and, and you can quickly get yourself into deep water and disobedience quickly gets us into deep water. When we ignore the signs of God's invitation to come and be a part of what he is already at work doing and wanting to join in with him in his great work, when we ignore the signs that have those invitations to come and we are disobedient, we quickly drop into deep water. Jonah's refusal to follow the signs God had set up for him to be involved in God's work took an increasing downward spiral, if you like, until, just like a loving parent, God brings strong discipline to bring Jonah back on track. The Lord disciplines him, propelling him further down. It's kind of like, can you get any further until he's thrown into the sea? And it's as though God is saying to Jonah, you want to run, but you can't hide. Sooner or later, you're going to realize this path that you're on. It only leads to deeper water, Jonah. And when you're in a relationship with God and you're listening to what he says, there will always be an invitation for you to join in with what God's doing. And at that moment of invitation will come some type of crisis of belief in your life. Because at that moment in time, when the invitation comes, you're gonna have to decide that you readjust your life to be able to fit into what God is asking you to do as the invitation comes, or whether you'll just keep going on your sweet merry way. Jonah kind of flipped all that on his head and said, oh, I know the invitation's here. I'm simply not doing that. But we wouldn't do that, right? God's invitation is always there for us and it will require some adjustment in our life to be able to respond. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had to feed the beast and uh, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon and I'd missed lunch break and and so I popped down and I was just down local here at a bakery and, and saw the pies and they looked good. So I didn't resist. I went in and I felt like God, as soon as I crossed over the threshold of this bakery, I felt like God said, would you tell her about me? So we had this lovely conversation that had nothing to do with Jesus. All sorts of other things, but nothing to do with Jesus an older Asian lady, and, and so we got talking and that, but yeah, nothing about Jesus. I got in my car with my pie. May or may not have had a sausage roll with it. <laughs> I've got to stop confessing too much from the front. Anyway, uh, and so I'm, I get in my car, I pull out of the car park, and, and, and I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on me. 
And so I start a conversation with God, and it starts with me talking. I said, well, what would you want to say anyway? And immediately, I hear the Lord's voice in my heart say, I wanted her to reconcile with her daughter. So I got to the first roundabout, and I did a U-turn, and I came all the way back, and I parked my car outside the bakery, and I walked in, and I said, and she looked at me, and there's no one else in the store, and, and I said, I, nothing to do, the pie, I'm sure, is going to be great. I haven't eaten it yet, but I'm, I'm sure it's fine. And I proceeded to tell her that I'm a pastor from up the road, and God talks to me, and I, I said, I feel like he's saying something about a daughter. Do you have any daughters? She said, I have two. And I said, I feel like God is asking you, inviting you to be able to reconcile with your daughters and that he's here for you to be able to help you. And I believe that he told me to tell you that because he wants you to know how much he loves you and is concerned for your family. And her jaw dropped and her eyes popped wide open. And, and we started to then engage in a conversation about Jesus. You see, I had to adjust things the invitation was there. If I'd ignored it, which I did, because I, I got the fear of man all over me, you know. Oh, well, well, that's, that's crazy. Tell everyone about Jesus, right? Yeah, well, I'm getting my lunch, you know. It, it had to make some adjustment to be able to come back into alignment with what God was wanting to do. And he's always about doing something. The invitation is always there. It's up to us whether we're going to reorient our lives to join him in the work that he has for us. Now, I'm not saying that God would have disciplined me if I hadn't have taken that opportunity, but I can tell you for absolute 100% certainty that I would have missed the joy of sharing with that lady about Jesus. So, when we live a lifestyle, though, that, that is constant in disobedience, to what God has been telling us, we're gonna end up in deep water. Disobedience is never taken lightly by God and Jonah went through the trauma of being hurled overboard amidst a raging sea and that's what it feels like when we're in disobedience. There is no anchor point, there's nothing firm to keep your feet on when we live in constant disobedience and we just keep moving further away from the invitation. Maybe it's not always the invitation that comes so clearly. Maybe it is that we've just chosen outright like Jonah to say, well, I heard it and I don't want it. Or even worse, perhaps we just become numb to God's voice because we're not in intimacy. And some of you are here sitting going, do you mean really God does speak like that? And we've never drawn close enough to be able to hear the voice of God. And it's out of this numbness that we, we have. We just kind of have this something hidden in our hearts somewhere, but it, it's not real. It's not active. And and the longer we live like that, whether it's by a sin of omission, in other words, I'm not going on with what God has asked and called me to do, or whether it's a sin of commission, I'm definitely not doing what he's asked me to do, does not matter. That disobedience, at, at best, that, that complacency that's in our heart, even if it's not direct disobedience, when we start to live our lives that way, we become numb to the calling. And then it's going to take a miracle to get us out of the deep water. But the good thing is, we serve a miracle working God. We serve a, a miracle working God. And at the end of chapter one in verse 17, it says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Now, please don't lose interest at this point. The the, the story's just getting good. But I, I, I know, right? Some of you have a picture of a nice big whale with a spout coming out of its head. And then some of you, just by logic, are just going to go, you've lost me. <laughs> Whales, they have like these things that stop other big things coming. It wasn't a whale. It wasn't a whale. Okay, it was a big fish. Well, yeah, I know. I've seen big fish, but I'm not sure a big fish could swallow a man. And we'll start, we'll start putting this miracle too far out, right? We'll start thinking, really? Is this just a story? Is this a fable? Is this a parable? What is this? But you know what? I don't really care. I I believe that if God created the whole of the universe, which I do, I believe that he raised the dead to life, the blind to see, that the guy who made the seas made them still and then could walk on them, I reckon he could get a big fish to swallow somebody. Just saying. Just saying. All right? So anyway, stay with me because this, this is the miracle. If you want to know a little bit more of the back end of that story, go on to Bible Streams podcast from River Life and Joe and Scott will talk a whole lot more about that sort of stuff. You can get your fill on that. If three days in the belly fish and three nights, it is significant. I'm not going there today. They do. You can listen to that. The important thing that in this part of the story is this. Jonah, in complete rebellion from what God had been asking him to do, sinks deeper into the depths of disobedience, into the depth of the waters of running away from God, and God gives him a second chance. How gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, God desires through his discipline, not his punishment, his discipline, to draw us near so that we might be given a second chance to be lifted up once again, invited back in to the work that he's doing and what he wants us to be involved in. His first desire is that we would walk in intimacy and obedience, hearing and doing constantly. But when we fail that, God is gracious and compassionate and calls us in for another chance. Isn't that good? That's so good. That's great news for some of us today. And after a few days of sitting in the digestive tract of a huge sea creature, Jonah finally allows the video to play back and comes to the understanding that when he called on the name of the Lord, God heard and answered him and gave him a second chance. It called him back to intimacy. Jonah chapter 2, 1 through 7. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he said in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry you hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me and your waves and breakers swept over me I said I've been banished from your sight yet I will look again toward your holy temple The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. And earth 
barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Jonah remembered the Lord. I was reading a commentary, it talks about frequently when mentioning in scripture where it says remembered, that, that they remembered, that the people remembered. It was referring to a mental activity accomplished, accompanied, sorry, by a physical action. A mental activity accompanied by a physical action to act on the basis of the knowledge that they had been given. And in the middle of all his troubles, when his life is literally slipping away, Jonah remembers the reality of who God is, his merciful and compassionate God. And he cries out to him for help. The result's incredible. Verse 4, Jonah's, Jonah feels like he's been banished. Will I ever get to see your holy temple again? Will I ever be able to get to call out in that place again? For you have banished me. I have been banished from your sight. Yet in verse 7, it says that his cries were heard by the Lord in his holy temple, for the Lord heard him. It's never too late to lift up your eyes to the Lord. It doesn't matter how far you've been trying to run away from God. It doesn't matter how deep you've sung into the depths of despair or depravity or anything else away from Him. It's never too late to call out on the name of the Lord. You see, the enemy almost had Jonah at the right point. While his life was ebbing away and he was in despair, he'd started to believe the lie that he was never going to see the Lord in his holy temple again, that he'd been barred, until the truth of God's love came crashing in on him and he called out and his name and he was heard. He was heard and the Lord saved him and brought him to a place of intimacy again. It's never too late. The enemy will want you to believe the lie that you've been forever abandoned, banished. There's no hope God wants you to know that his love is far greater. Jonah then prays these last words. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Remember what Pastor Ryan was talking about last week? He said that the, the, the book of Jonah, it acts like a mirror. It's a mirror to the readers of the day. It's a mirror to the Israelites. That as they're reading this, they're reading a story which is confronting to them. It's speaking into their lives. And when you hear Jonah's prayer, it's hard just not to see the irony that's happening out of chapter 1. That's now happening in chapter 2. Remember the pagan sailors, the ones who are terrified? They called out to the Lord for help and he responded with deliverance. It was that moment where the sea went calm that they just got mega scared. Where they finally realized, oh, this, God, this guy's real. 
I, I imagine after throwing everything else off the boat, they're, they're thinking, this will lighten the load, we can row back, we can do whatever we can, not, not anything, is anything going to work? Oh God, forgive us if this is really your guy because we're, we're going to throw him too because I think he's the one that's causing it, we don't really want to do this, but he's saying to, so we are, there he goes. And then all of a sudden it's calm. Now they're really scared. Now they're really scared. Like in Mark chapter 4 with the disciples in the boat that Ryan talked about, you know, and it's going everywhere in the tempest and the storm. And it's until Jesus stands up and calms the storm. Then they get mega scared. Because now it's real. Like the, the storm was frightening, but now I'm, I'm really scared because who is this that speaks to the waves and the wind and they obey him? Who's that? That's the God in whom we serve. And the irony is this, that those, those pagan sailors, they turn. They realize in their mega scared state that this really is the God of the land and the sea. And they turn and they make a vow towards God in verse 14 of chapter 1. And they make him promises and sacrifices. And now in verses 8 and 9, we have the mighty prophet of God, the mighty man of God, this one in whom he had been sent with a, a job to do and a message to give, finally is not modeling what it looks like. This is the mirror that's being held up to the Israelites. Uh, he's, he's not modeling how it should be. He's just responding and reacting just like the pagans. So as they're reading that, they're going, oh, right. That's what we should have been doing. When we lived in India, we would minister to anybody and everybody. Because fresh to India, I couldn't tell the difference in between different caste systems. I couldn't tell. I could tell probably who was poor and who was not just by some, some obvious things. But I couldn't tell because I didn't understand the language. I didn't pick up on all the other social cues. And so I would sit with anybody and tell them about Jesus. But when I'm here and I see someone who might have certain types of tattoos, I mean, everyone's got tats, right, these days. You know, certain types. Again, I was getting some lunch. It's a familiar story. <laughs> this time I was over at Dara. I was getting some really good Vietnamese. There was a family. It was just before light party and they were sitting there and I just felt compelled to just invite them and let them know and sit again, try to talk to them about Jesus. And I thought the guy had teardrop tattoos. Do you know what teardrop tattoos are? Prison tats for when you've committed murder and you get those. But as I got closer, they weren't teardrops. It was 666. I'm thinking, oh, great, God. I don't want to invite the dark into the light party. Just joking. Never mind. The light's bigger and better. Didn't matter. But you've got all these social cues that are around you that, that frighten you, that hold you back, that out of fear you go, how can I share? And all of a sudden the prejudice in our heart rises higher than what should be in our heart to want to reach out to people. Yeah? 
We may make a very quick social judgment on, on who they are, what they drive, what they're wearing, what they look like, what their language is like. And, and all of a sudden, uh, there's a prejudice to want to be able to share Jesus with those people, or I'm frightened, or there's a fear of man that comes in, or there's some other thing. And, and Jonah's story is just like that. This is a story to the Israelites saying, you out of your prejudice and your pride don't want to go to the city that's ready to turn to me and turn their hearts back. My love is far greater than your love for them and this was your original job you're supposed to be my people who would drop everything to declare my love to all nations there's these cross currents that are going on this is the mirror God's saying, turn to me, respond to me. You need my mercy as much as any other. And those people whom you've got prejudice against are more willing to receive it than you are. In verse 9 it says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I'll make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This is the mirror. This is the irony of verses 14 and 16 out of chapter 1. Now, Jonah's saying exactly the same thing. Because the response of a grateful heart, one that's experienced the grace of God, should be not only praise but obedience. Love God, tell others. And the degree to which we've received God's love is reflected by the extent that we're ready to share it. We saw last week in chapter 1, it was after the sea that everything becomes still. These still waters, they should run deep. You see, when you experience the saving power of God at work in your life, There should be a life-transforming paradigm shifting moment that has a forever effect. Still waters should run deep. That mega scared awe and reverence of God should run right to the very depths of our heart and forever change us. And for me, I think there's some sadness in these verses actually. To me, Jonah seems more thankful for being saved than he is repentant about being disobedient. It's kind of like when someone gets caught out and they say they're sorry, but they're more sorry about getting caught than they are about the thing they did. Commentators say that this language that's used in this prayer are familiar words out of Psalms. Maybe it could be that this is a knee-jerk reaction from the man of God who just knows the right Psalm to repeat. I just wonder if he's truly grateful I mean, I think he's grateful that he didn't die. I think he's full of faith even to speak that out while he's in the belly of the fish still. But I wonder if he's just ticking the right box in response to what has happened. Because as you read on, he's hardly the model of a transformed life. In verse 8, Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. 
I don't know, with the context maybe of chapters three and four that you don't know yet, but we know because we've read ahead. It makes me think that Jonah's response is a little like the Pharisee in the parable that Jesus talks about with the, 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 the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. God, I thank you that I am not like other sinners, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. Jonah doesn't even know that those sailors got saved. He might even be thinking that those who he still has to go to, those Ninevites, those are those people who put their trust in those worthless idols. They're not really worthy of this great message. And I guess the point I'm making is that in those who compare themselves to others, you'll always find a reason for pride. Those who compare themselves to the Lord are always going to realize their sinfulness and cry out humbly for God's mercy and salvation and then extend that to others. And the tax collector stood out at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And out of this mirror that's being read to us, there's a question. Have we let the power of God's love and forgiveness run deep in our hearts or are we simply giving the right religious response to a surface level understanding of God's grace and mercy? Jonah repented enough to feel better, but not enough to be transformed. He repented enough to feel better, not enough to be transformed. Still waters should run deep. There should be more going on under the surface than what really is seen. There should be in us a fiery, white, hot passion to be able to want to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom anywhere, anytime, to anyone out of a response to the depths of the grace being shown in our own lives. And Jonah's own spiritual pride should have been humbled by the simple fact that he received what he did not deserve. Mercy instead of judgment, deliverance instead of death. And this should have changed Jonah profoundly. It should change us all profoundly. What our sin and rebellion earn is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. What God makes available to us in the life of Jesus, the undeserved gift of his mercy and grace, a true transformational experience of this saving grace should run so deep in our hearts that it has to overflow. See all the spare seats? They're probably people who don't yet know Jesus. All those spare seats? They're like Ninevites. And we can't afford to allow a prejudice in us stop us from reaching out. But more importantly, how much 
of God's grace has gone in so that you do, compelled by love, to want to reach out to those around us. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.